Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. A kind of a big day today um, as we record this on uh, Tuesday, uh, the 29th of November. Um, just right off the right off the hop, congrats to the U.S. men's national can, team for. So can I can I can I interject something here yeah, right now? Yeah, yeah, please, please. So I'm running on fumes right now to the degree that that is rarely a case when we do these podcasts, even though we often record these late at night, because last night. So let, let let's just say. Other than my family, you could easily argue that the thing I care about most in the world is Northwestern football. And after that, it's the United States men's national team. And I think we kind of had an inkling of that today was going to be the kind of day it was in the football program. And this is the biggest soccer match in eight years. I knew it was going to be those things last night, strongly suspected, got very little good sleep last night. Then all this... We'll get into it, but all this came to a head at the exact same time this afternoon, and there was work and everything else, and now it's like, oh, it's it's been a day. Let's put it that way. Yeah, so um, World Cup, U.S. goes on to the knockout stage. Um, speaking of getting knocked out, um, half an hour before kickoff, the uh, news comes down, uh, Northwestern is parting ways with Dennis Springer, Marty Long, and Jim O'Neill um, after, and I, I promise this is all we're going to talk about the, the Illinois game last week, after that dreadful performance against Illinois, obviously changes needed to be made, and uh, this is this is where we came out. Yeah, and the there's the whole piece of it, you know, like timeline, we were part of a group who really wanted to hear something from the athletic department on Monday. Um, and I know a lot of people felt the same way. We didn't, you know, we're, we've heard from inside that there were logistical issues with what they were doing and everything. <clears throat> I think we're still in the camp. And, and again, a lot of people feel the same way that given everything that's happened really over the past two years, the athletic department kind of needed to be thinking about the fan base, even just making a general statement. With that said, though, there, you know, we, we said as much on Twitter and there was a minority um, of people who felt differently that includes some people we are close with and have a lot of respect for. And I think the bottom line is that that you kind of come down on one side of it or you come down on the other relative to timeline, relative to all these things going out. I think one of the important things to to say here, though, now that these decisions have been announced right up front is – Aside from everything that's happened with the football program and the situation we're in right now, this was three Northwestern coaches who gave all to Northwestern football, you know, being out of a job today. And I think we're all aware and and we're probably guilty of talking about it as much as anyone else in terms of Northwestern set in their ways. Northwestern doesn't make a lot of change. Northwestern, well, the flip side of that, and, and it really is true regarding Fitz, is that there is a family here and that you do see coaches stay for a long time. And yes, you know, the fan base wrings their hands about that, and that includes us. But 
these are three coaches who gave a lot and two coordinators, Dennis Springer and Marty Long, who gave decades of service to Northwestern and through a lot of great times, um, developed a lot of fantastic players, have great resumes. These are incredibly respected coaches. Um, and, you know, they're going out the door now. And I think we definitely deserve to, to stop and say, hey, you know, these, these guys were great guys. These guys gave a long, long period of service to Northwestern football, and they deserve to be acknowledged that way. Yeah, we're, we're not here to drag those guys. I mean, by any stretch of the imagination, they're, you know, the, the coaching, uh, the performance on the field, that's what we have problem with. But, you know, we're not, we're not here to drag you know, anyone's name through the mud. Well, and, you know, it, in the case of a lot of people, things end, things end badly or they wouldn't end, right? And Marty Long and Dennis Springer have had long, illustrious careers, right? In the case of Marty Long, I mean, where do we even start with the great defensive lineman he's coached? The list goes on and on and on, right? I mean, it's everybody. It's Lowry. It's Lancaster. It's Gaziano. It's Afadi. It just, there's so many guys, Um and in the case of Dennis Springer, no, the list of illustrious names is not necessarily as long. But you have a guy like an Austin Carr who came in as a walk-on and under Dennis Springer's watch develops into the best receiver you know, in the Big Ten and one of the best receivers in the country goes on to the NFL, right? Um, and Northwestern's not a place that has recruited your five-star wide receivers, right? Your big-time four-star wide receivers. Yet we seem to always have found... Um, big pass catchers. So again, it's like there are reasons these, like like Sam said, there are reasons this, you know, things arrived to where they were. But um, there have been a lot of great times with these guys, and now that these guys are heading out the door, I think that's, I just, I think that's a good place to start. Yeah, I like. I I um. I agree with all that. At the same time, I think. I I am itching to jump into the why behind why these were the three guys. I mean, well, we know why Jim O'Neill was let go, and we've been talking about it for a year and a half. Um, the the you know Marty Long surprised me, frankly, that his yeah. name was on this list. Um, I think Springer is someone you know. There's been a lot of talk over over the years, um, development of of players, uh, notwithstanding. I mean, you think about. You mentioned Austin Carr, but I think about Kyle Prater um, coming to Northwestern from USC, coming off that injury. Um, if anybody has watched the fantastic um, film work that that Kyle has done, uh, he, he basically produced and, and filmed and, and published a documentary on, on himself um, where he talks about not only the injury and, and the transition to Northwestern, but dealing with addiction uh, as he as he came back from, from that injury and from painkillers. So um, to see the performance that Carr, Prater, um, someone like Rashad Lawrence, uh, who was a awesome recruit and just a you know a dy- like a guy that we loved to watch play. Um, I think Springer's been here since what two thousand nine, uh, and he's he's had his hands in a lot of uh, decent groups. At the same time, we've had one. If you don't count Prater, we've had one four star wide receiver sign with Northwestern and actually show up on campus. That's Reggie uh, Florima. Who didn't didn't see the field this year? You've had a lot of promise from players like um, against Hooper Price or Wayne Dennis, um, who's in the in the transfer portal now. Who who 
never really got onto the field or became a big part of the of the offense. And uh, I think the, you know, the, 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 there's, I I think back to the old um, CJ Bechet, and I'm forgetting who his who his partner was um, when they did a little podcast. Uh, one of his former former tight ends. Um, but there was a debate they always had about like, you know, who's at fault? Is it the, is that the wide receivers not getting separation? And that was always CJ's take. And then, um, uh, the alternative was it's, you know, it's the QBs not, you know, not making the right decision, not getting the ball out fast enough, et cetera. So like, like there's been a lot of chatter about the wide receiver core over the years. So I think like that was less surprising of a departure to me. Um, we'll get into the bigger question of, of who's been retained on the staff, but I think, the Marty Long one was one that had me scratching my head a little bit. And John, it goes back to just, you know, the laundry list of excellent players and the defensive line has often been a strength for Northwestern. Um, and uh, it's, you know, I, he's been around for what, 12 years, I think now. So, um, I, you know, I guess it's time for change. And sometimes you need a new voice in the room. He's, he's getting uh, longer in the tooth, but um, I think there's also a thought that maybe Northwestern's left something on the table with some of the talent they've had in that, in that room. I mean, th- th- this past year was especially rough on the D-line. And, like, we've talked about that all season long. But, yeah, I mean, Marty that Long... That wasn't really a coaching issue, though. No, I, well, I don't so, think so. Well, I don't so, think so. Well, so let's let's get into this and let's get into the O'Neill piece of this, right? And the o- and kind of O'Neill piece and a long piece kind of as we see it. And, again, but just off the top with the O'Neill piece of it, I, I just want to say this because I feel like it's important. I feel like it's it's part of, again, like the Northwestern piece of it and what makes Northwestern a, a special place. And Sam, without getting specifically, you know, into specifics, you and I had some, you know, great conversations at the tailgate, at the Illinois tailgate with people connected to the Northwestern program about the degree to which it is a special place and a family place and things like that. And, you know, all the things people say and, you know, to any recruits listening and everyone out there, like none of it's lip service. That stuff is all true. And in that vein, I think it's important to say that in the case of Jim O'Neill, right, this was someone who, you know, this, he, like, he wasn't out there, like, beating the Trump, you know, like Fitz went and recruited him for this job. And Jim O'Neill had a fine career going as an NFL position coach, right? NFL secondary coach with the Raiders. He's been, you know, a well-regarded secondary coach. We've all focused so much on his, you know, all the issues as a coordinator. But as a secondary coach, he's been in the league for a long time. And that goes all the way back to the Jets and working with Jim Leonard and people like that. And in that regard, as a professional secondary coach, he's got a strong track record and a strong resume. And he put that aside to come and commit to Northwestern football. And no, it did not go well. It went really, really poorly. And those were a rough two years for our defense. Um, but this is still someone who came and gave a great amount of commitment to this football program. Um, and now that, you know, he's going out the door, wish him nothing but the best. Hopefully he'll end right up, you know, end up back right back in the pros. Um, as a, a secondary coach, position coach in the NFL, and go on to have a fine career in that regard. So I, w- I just wanted to say that. From the football piece, and again, we've talked about this so long, it's funny because on the surface of it, to your point, both of you, like, you can look and be like, well, the defense was really bad, and that all centered around the run defense, and we all know that started with the defensive line. So to someone who's like, you know, riding a bicycle by this situation, they could look and they'd be like, well, Defensive coordinator gone, defensive line coach gone. 
But right. The reality is more complicated than that. We know that injuries certainly have played a big part over the past couple of years. Um, and as we've said many times, we are have off, you know, have long speculated at that extent, right? Because we don't know because Northwestern doesn't release information. So we're always perennially reading the tea leaves on all this stuff and trying to figure out what's going on. But injuries certainly played a part. But we've even had extended discussions with, again, people who connected to the program, not connected to the program, like in all different manners of orbit around the program, trying to pin down exactly what the problem has been with the defensive line and exactly where things have gone downhill. We know injuries are a big part and we know, you know, Tara Edwards transferring out is an issue and failure to get the, you know, the right level of players through the portal to replace guys and those kind of things like that. It's all been an issue, but clearly Fitz is laying that, or at least, uh, you know, a part of it at the feet of Marty Long. Um, it, you know, it has to be, and that has to be, you know, where we are right now and looking for a new coordinator. So, I mean, but again, right, it's it's complicated, but I guess the, the most important thing is that this is clearly where Fitz is with it right now. Yeah, I, it, it's like many things, right? There's there's a lot of variables and a lot of factors at play here. And, and we will never know like the exact reason why. Um, we don't know what uh, what responsibility. I mean, you know, how much of a, a position coach or coordinator's um, performance is judged in Fitz's eye based on recruiting? Um, how much of it is uh, game day prep? How much of it is development and practice, right? Like we just, we don't, we'll, we'll never know what that formula is. Um, so it is very hard to, to evaluate, I guess, like one of the things we have been doing just, you know, transparently, um, is reaching out to a lot of folks that we know, uh, in the Northwestern community today to get others perspectives. Right. And, and, um, I think one of the things that resonated with me was just a sense of, of you look at the talent that's come through the defensive line room and, yeah, Northwestern's had a great, a great defense, um, elite even at, at, at times, but, you know, maybe could have gotten more out of some of those players, could have gotten more out of the defensive line, especially when you think about uh, attacking the quarterback and sacks and those sorts of things. So, um, you know, some of this might be also just the nature of how we want the defense to evolve in the coming years. And if the scheme and fit and approach that, you know, Marty has taken for so long is, um, much in the way that, you know, Mick McCall was pretty successful early on as a, as an offensive coordinator. Um, the game evolves. And, uh, so what, you know, we'll, we'll have to see who, um, who ultimately takes that role, but I don't, you know, none of this should take anything away from how massive of a contributor Marty Long has been to this program and, uh, his fingerprints are all over all of the success that Northwestern has seen, um, in the Fitz era. So, uh, I think that's just a really important call out. Yeah. And I think that that's important. Uh, you, you mentioned, we don't know who's coming in. Obviously like this all happened today. So, you know, who knows, like there's going to be a searches and, you know, interviews and all that. And, you know, we're not going to know who the hires are, uh, for a little while, I would imagine. But, um, you know, at that, that, you know, where we go, could, will also inform, you know, the the decision, the certain decisions made, you know, with you know Long and Springer. 
But it's but it's going to start with the DC. Got to start with the DC, yeah. Right. And that's the interesting thing because so many people, including us, are going to want to spin this forward and be like, okay, so with this in mind, where can we look? And, you know, one of the things we've been talking about is, is um, you know, it's, it's funny. I think of that scene from Apollo 13 um, where they're having the crisis and um, uh, the, the director of NASA says, all right, stop, you know. What's, let's look at this from a st- you know from a standpoint of status. What do we got on the ship that's good? So <laughs> I, I I think of that from the perspective of this defense, right? What do we got on the ship that's good, right? And honestly, if you assume people are healthy coming back, you've got a lot through the middle, right? All our linebackers are looking pretty good, right? I mean, we just found out today Bryce Gallagher got all Big Ten recognition, 100 tackle season. Um, Xander Mueller looked very good um, for a guy who's first coming on the field. And then in his limited role, Grayson Metz looked pretty good too. We believe Rod Hurd is going to be coming back, which is a huge piece. And Lord willing, the new DC, whoever he is and whatever the scheme is, puts Rod at safety where he can do the most damage. And, you know, if, if you have Coco Azuma coming back, Coco Azuma Rod Hurd pairing, that's a lot of lumber. That's guys coming downhill and laying big hits. So you can look through the middle of that defense and be like, all right, there are a lot of elements there. The massive issues last season were the defensive line just getting moved around all over the place and the just scheme schematic issues that we had with teams knowing what we were about, knowing what we were doing, diagnosing it and, and hitting it exactly how they wanted to. And, right? and so, the decimation of the secondary by injury. I mean, that, right. And that, the decimation of secondary by injury. Sure. Right. And I think, and that's the thing too. And to be fair, I mean, right. You're looking to be like, look, AJ Hampton's out the door and Cam Mitchell's probably out the door. Those are big losses. No argument here. They are. You're absolutely right. But we've had a couple of young corners get a chance to play. And you've got a guy like Devin Turner out there who's did, you know, did phenomenal work too. So you're starting to play pieces around and you're being like, all right, we, you know, for example, we've seen Rod play corner before. Could he move outside? There are pieces there. And, and, but to your point, right. We don't know. For all we know, we have a guy coming in. I mean, I think given that it's fits and given that he brought a three, four guy in and made him four, three, we're probably (laughs) still looking at four, three, I, I, I'd wager a fair amount on that. But again, who knows? Again, we don't know. We've talked about these come to Jesus moments that a Jim Harbaugh had, et cetera. We don't know. We don't know what Fitz is going to do. And, and again, to be fair, I, if you look at the pieces right now, like you, you know, multiple schemes or other schemes or, you know, things that get the most impact players on the field on a season by season basis, maybe an, an approach we need to look at. But right. I mean, again, it's, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, we had a ton of problems on defense, but there are a lot of pieces, especially through the middle of that back seven, potentially coming back. A lot of guys who can, you know, who know the game and can really hit and bring the lumber. Um, and if we can find the right scheme and get something from that defensive line and maybe a new DC can unlock that um, and a coordinator who moves guys around a little bit more and creates more looks and something like that, you know, we can pick, you know, pick this defense up and start to build it back into something again. So I think like Johnny referenced the problems and I don't want to um, give anyone PTSD here, but I want to emphasize like, let, let's, let's talk about some of the major issues that this defense faced over the last two years. So first and foremost, just like, 
whatever the scheme was, it seemed confusing or complicated enough that, you know, you know, a lot of missed assignments, a lot of miscommunication, especially in, in 2021, um, missed tackles, lack of preparation for game. Um, and what, what confounded that was an unwillingness or an inability to swap out personnel. I mean, if, if anybody remembers, we had what 13 linebackers in the room last year and three of them had 98% of the snaps for a unit that really underperformed. Um, Coming to this year, yeah, we saw a lot of growth with those players, and I think like there's a reason that Tim McGarrigal has st- is staying with the staff and is carrying forward. Um, but then you've got the defensive line issues. John, you already outlined that. Talked about the the um, the injuries and just the depth problems there. But you know, going back, you know, three or four weeks, we talked about Northwestern was running the exact same thing out on the field that they had been in week one that they had been last year with pretty much nothing in the way of pre-snap motion or movement, flat-footed players, very little um, attempt to confuse the opponent or to um, create looks that, that morphed into other looks. Um, A, a, I don't know if it's a hesitance or like a, um, the, the, the cats were almost snake bit last year on the, you know, the times they did decide to bring pressure. And it seemed like maybe midway through 2021, they kind of reverted to, all right, like go base vanilla. Let's like, just try to, you know, keep the train on the tracks, um, and not get torched for all these, these gashing runs and big pass plays that, that, you know, Michigan state and Duke, et cetera, put up on us. Um, but then, this year, you never you never saw them return to any sort of aggression. I mean, you know, you know, a couple corner blitzes and other things like that. I remember there was one, you know, really nice safety blitz with Azuma that worked well. Um, we brought Heard in pressure packages on occasion, but very rarely was it any more than five. Um, again, the, the flat-footed, just like read-in-response kind of defense made me think of the old Greg Colby switch cheese defense of the early <laughs> the early Fitz years. Like it just like. These are the problems that were cropping up with the defense, and this is the why that Jim O'Neill needed to move on. Um, you know, by all accounts, he's someone that talked a fantastic recruiting pitch with recruits, um, talked a really good conceptual approach to scheme with the star package and all these other sort of things, and for whatever reason, it just it couldn't translate to the field either because of, you know, just inadequate teaching or, you know, an, in, an inability to really be um, in the moment in the game with play calling, et cetera. Um, and that just, that just doesn't cut it. So I just, I like, as painful as it is to relive all that, I think it's really important to just lay that out here because it's not just wins and losses and it's not just the defensive line and the rushing stats this year. That And, and it's not about, injuries or or lack of talent or um terrible terrible recruiting or anything like that like i don't you know we've said this before this season if mike hankowitz you know parachuted in mid-year i don't think this defense would magically revert to its top 25 form but 
I think there'd be some stuff that they would try that would produce better results during game day. And that that's why we have a new defense. We're going to have a new defensive coordinator. It's just for the past two years, right? Opposing offenses have known that there was a specific way they could hurt us running the ball. And they know, and they could clock us and and know what we were about and get a read on it. And that's a deadly combination. Very predictable. It'll just destroy you again and again. So, we believe, right, that right, that we're going to get at least part of that fixed. And and again, I think just a final time to bear mention that the, a big piece of this is that Fitz went out and got a guy who just at the end of the day, Jim O'Neill is just not really a coordinator. He's a position coach and his resume strongly spoke to that coming out of the pros. And it speaks even more strongly to that now. And, you know. Now Fitz has got a chance to, you know, to get this one right, to go out and find either this young ingenue defensive coordinating mind like Bielema did when he went and got Ryan Walters, or else a guy with a ton of experience coaching, being a defensive coordinator, and a a bunch of historic success doing that exact thing. So either way, we should expect that we're going to see a schematic improvement next year. Again, the proof is in the pudding, but that's what we'll hope going forward. You know, there, there is a big name defensive coordinator that's on the, you know, that's newly on the market. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, but you know. <laughs> do, do, do we want you to get into carve the your, whole, like, car, carve yourself off a nice slice of pie of the sky there, Sam, go ahead. <laughs> do, are, are we, are we going to get into the whole, like, uh, are we switching to a three, four debate again? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, should we go to the other side of the ball? I, I think before we do that, I, I do want also want to stress like, we don't know for sure that these are the last changes. Because I think true. we're pretty, well, no, I think we're pretty. Here, here's why. Here's why I say that. New defensive coordinator comes in, maybe he's got a guy or two that he wants to bring in as well. So, like, a new defensive coordinator comes in and may want to shake things up a little bit more. I don't know if that, that's the case, but like, as far as firings go for now I think that that's it but you know I I could see a situation where a a new DC comes in and says hey I've got this you know linebackers or you know defensive line guy that I've worked with for years that I want to bring with me it's a possibility I I don't know how I don't know how that works like I'll have to research this on some other DCs that 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 flipped over and to see how like I know there's been out in the Twitter sphere. There seem to be conflicting opinions on this. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know that that's a thing because here's here's the reality. Like if I'm a DC and I come in and I've got players that have been working with it with a particular coach that have relationships there, I've got recruits that have been recruited by that coach. I'm not going to can that coach like on on the eve of national recruiting day and i'm and i'm not going to do it a month later it's just a recipe for disaster if i've got some hot shot linebackers coach i desperately want to bring in i'm just going to bring him in as an analyst right and i'm going to make that part of like maybe contingent on the on the negotiation that i do like i just i i i think the only way we're going to see additional change on on either side of the ball is if somebody decides not to stay or gets an opportunity somewhere else exactly what i was thinking i was thinking the same thing because I, I agree. I don't think there will be any more changes, but I would say if there were, it would have to do with a uniform reaction, particularly, say, on the offensive side of the ball mm-hmm. of players to the decisions that were made today. Um, and when we say decisions, we mean decisions, you know, or or lack thereof. Um, who who, the is, who stayed 
who's going and who's staying. Right, exactly. And I think that's the thing because a lot of you have, I'm sure, been waiting for us to get to the Mike Bajakian piece of this because Dennis Springer was let go. Mike Bajakian was very conspicuously not, not. let go. Um, and it's something that you simultaneously it – is, it is easy – how do I frame this? It's very easy to offer an explanation for – why he's staying and easier to offer an explanation for why he should be going. Right. Um, I think I just, I disagree. And I guess like, I just, I want to start here and just be very transparent. I'm disappointed. And that's not because I want to see a guy fired. That's not because I think there's anything like inherently wrong oh, with, with, let me with just say to who I, he is. I, yeah, just, I, I don't disagree. No. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think generally all of us are kind of like, Really? Um, and that's a reflection of, he came in in 2020 and the offense has gotten worse each of the, the subsequent two years. Um, it has also in all three years been worse, like on, when, you know, on a national statistics level. And obviously 2020 is a really weird year. That's hard to calibrate, but, um, it's generally been worse than most of the offenses Mick McCall put out there. Now, I like you can look at quarterback and you can say, well, if Northwestern just had a great quarterback, they'd be fine. The reality is, and we, we were having this deep conversation last week about, you know, Northwestern's um, uh, academic standards and what that does to player pool, et cetera. And, and, and I still stand by everything we talked about last week that like that tends to be more of an excuse for Northwestern than, than, truly a limiting factor, but I do believe that because of that and because Northwestern operates um, a little bit differently, more in that family mentality, et cetera, than, than some of the rest of college football, that um, there's a little, a, little, a little less margin for error. And when you miss on a position as critical as quarterback, when you misevaluate or misuse or improperly develop a player like Hunter Johnson, or you you pull in a guy like Ryan Holinsky and realize in, in, in retrospect that he's not a good fit for your offense, those are misses that you can't have. And so, like, yes, if Northwestern had an amazing quarterback but Jake would have had a much better opportunity to have a better offense. And I think that's probably like the, the, the number one, like, Oh, excuse, could... but, 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 the, but the reality is, is that like, there's a reason we don't have a good quarterback. And some of that falls at Mike, but feet. And I want to emphasize, I think this was in Louis Vicare's article that he wrote around, like his kind of call for wholesale, um, uh, changeover in the staff. But he, he referenced like Carl, Carl Richardson was a, a Jake recruit. Um, Cole Freeman flew past him on the on the playing time here at the end of the year. I'm not sure why that was or what happened there. Um, it's seeing Jack Lausch enter the game at, toward the end of the Illinois game it made me realize, like, well, that's weird. Why 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 didn't we see more of Jack earlier and maybe more meaningful minutes? Um, and that's you know this is nothing against Cole Freeman, but it just like but Jakeian's decision-making especially around the quarterback has been really hard to fathom these last two years. And, um, 
I just like there's there's I find myself as I'm trying to create the the rationale for keeping him, the mental gymnastics I'm having to do to justify it are uh, concerned. Ag- agreed. Agreed. I mean, let's start here. Northwestern's offense couldn't have been worse this past year. I mean, it literally couldn't have been worse. It was nope. the worst scoring offense in the country on American soil. 131st in the country, 12.2 points a game. That's with Pete Skaronsky. That's with Evan Hall. That's with Malik Washington. And you're right. It's, it's so tough because, again, again, we've heard it explained to us from people who, A, would kind of know, but B, to be clear, we're throwing their hands up just as much as us and being like, I, I mean, I guess it would be this, which is like they're, you know, a combination of getting rid of one coordinator, not getting rid of the other coordinator, and the idea that if you're getting rid of a couple position coaches, I hear you listening as I'm saying this, listeners, and being like, I'm not buying any of this. We, <laughs> we, don't, we don't disagree, okay? Um, there could be a piece, too. This, I guess if I was going to say anything, it might circle back to this. And because this is going to fold into something else that I want to say, too, is he has been Brendan Sullivan's coach for two years. And I, if I was going to offer an argument, that would be the argument that I would, that I would offer. Be like, this is the only coach this guy's had. And we are hitching our wagon to that star going forward. And that continuity. That's what I'm saying. You'd make the argument. I mean, it was the worst offense in the country last year, 131st on us soil. I don't know how you keep a coach like that. I don't think there's any legitimate explanation to that. And as we as we talked about the defense spinning it forward and trying to spin this forward, I mean, it, it doesn't look good. I don't yeah. know. How, so I mean, I, next – no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say there's a couple of theories I want to kind of like just float um, and then – well, I don't know that I'm going to disabuse them, but well, and I, so I have of, I have a theory. I have somewhere to spin this too, but yeah, go ahead. Well, so one of the things we heard today um, is just you know, uh, and this is from you know, like again people who are people who who live and live and breathe this every day. They're in the know. Like the the level of difficulty replacing both of your coordinators um, in the same 21 day stretch before national before early signing day. It's a tall order. Um especially for a school that does not, I mean, it's one thing if you're Nick Saban and you're trying to replace both of your coordinators. It's another thing if you're Pat Fitzgerald and this is like your third bite at the apple. Right. So, um, I like Northwestern is not well positioned to, to churn and burn through candidates in the way that, um, some other schools who do it more frequently are. Um, it's not an excuse. It's just, an explanation. So like, like again, the, the replacing both coordinators this year would have been hard. Um, I was talking with uh, the aforementioned Louis Vacare earlier tonight. And, and he reminded me that um, in 2008 Fitz did exactly that and replaced both coordinators because Garrick McGee left for Arkansas and uh, he let Greg Colby go. So it can be done. Um, I think the other, I've, Two other theories. One is a little conspiratorial, and that is the idea that um, this this offense 
outside of Brandon Sullivan loses a lot going to next year. We've already, you know, I think Hull has already basically said he's going pro. Um, and if for some reason the NFL doesn't work, I, I, I imagine he's the type of player that would keep his options open uh, and be able to grad transfer. Maybe Malik Washington's in the portal um, already. Uh, Wayne Dennis. Skaronsky, Wayne Dennis is in the portal. Um, Pete Skaronsky is going to the league. Um, we, we think there's a lot of other talent on the O-line. You've got Brandon Sullivan coming back. You've got you know, some other We're nice losing recruits. E- Ethan Wiedeker, who low-key yeah. was a major get to come back for yep. this season. You've got Florima coming back, though, hopefully. Um, so you got Otto, or not Otto, you got Cam Porter. So they, there, there's some pieces on offense, but let, let's be let's be honest. Like, it doesn't look like it's going to be a, a a banner offensive year. It doesn't, it's it's not like we've got a plethora of of returning options and talent um, that make this thing, you know, it's not like when, when Thor, Thorson and Jackson were coming back for um, years three and four, respectively. So, with that in mind, um, if you already know that next year might be still a bit of a rebuilding year, like you absolutely have to pull the plug on Jim O'Neill. I, th- I think, like I, I said this last week, anybody who's serious about their football program, like that, that change needed to be made ASAP, and then focus on getting the absolute best defensive coordinator, get that hire right, and then you know next year like probably have another opportunity to to realistically make a change on the offensive side now that may result in like if if that were the case though and i was jakey in or another like coach i might say hey i'm out but at the same time but jakey might be like dude give me another year working with brendan sullivan and i can make things happen he has been unlike o'neill but jakey has been he's been successful at every other stop he's had college or pro Northwestern is the outlier. And that is something that I have really struggled to get my head around these last three years and, and to figure out how are we going, how are we going down? And I think if you've been listening to the podcast, we put a lot of that at the feet of, of, of Fitzgerald. He's got a real conservative mindset around how the team looks, how they game plan, the flow of the game, trying to win by one score, trying to just, you know, line up and out execute your opponent. Um, so I like is could there have been discussions over the last 48 hours about Fitz getting out of the way and allowing Bajakian to take more control of the offense? I don't know. Um, we'll never know that. Uh, could there be key recruits um, that Bajakian's already engaged with and focused on that we think are just like too critical to risk? making a change at this stage for what might be little gain in 2023. I don't know. There's, there's a lot of factors to consider, but it does feel like mental gymnastics for me to get comfortable with this choice. The, the one other thing I am thinking of, and, and, you know, one, this is kind of, you know, going a little galaxy brain here, but like, say, you know, you, you're firing your defensive coordinator, your defensive line coach, you fire your offensive coordinator, your wide receivers coach, and you're, you're axing, you know, like half of your coaching staff. The question then leads, why are you not making the big change? If, if you're going to do all the, all the little changes, why, why are you keeping fits at that point? Yeah, I, I, I guess that's fair. Like, like if you're, cause if you're Greg and, and, you've made a choice to keep fits 
um, which I think like we, I don't know. I, I think in our heart of hearts, we've, we're, we've talked amongst ourselves a lot about like, what is it time to move on? Is it not? But I also think we all recognize that that was not in the cards for this year. Like that just, that, that option just wasn't on the table either. Like because of buyout, because of the new stadium, because of how new Greg is in his tenure or whatever. Like it just didn't seem like that was even a plausible option. Um, and who knows, maybe they talked about it, but if you've already made that decision, then yeah, you, Sam, I think you might be right. Like, well, I'm not gonna, I mean, like, when Nebraska made made Scott Frost literally fire everyone last year, you knew it was only a matter of time. Like I like I like at that point, I mean, the guy's kind of just being stubborn and staying, right? I mean, in the, the Harbaugh thing, you know, Harbaugh a couple years ago as well. You know, heart, you know, fire your entire staff or you're gone. And did Harbaugh they do the did, whole staff? I, I don't know if it was a whole. Like, it, it was a it was a big chunk of that. Of I think that I think Michigan it was the staff. offensive. It was the offensive staff, and then maybe Don Brown left at the same time. But I, that was more about like you're getting a pay cut, and he was already one of the highest paid coaches. I mean, he took a big pay cut. I like I don't remember. I don't recall them making him can all of his staff. But the point the point stands, and it's a good one. So so I kind of agree with all of this. And the, I guess in, in a spinning it forward to be like, okay, so we made Jim O'Neill and here's a speculating, like, well, we didn't change out Mike Bajakin. So what does that mean? Right? Well, obviously it's way easier to point to paint the negative picture. Scuzz already talked about it with, these are all the guys that we've got going out the door. Right? So you're talking about, again, an offense that scored 12.2 points a game on us soil last year, losing who any casual or serious fan would say are its three best players, Pete Skaronsky, Evan Hall, and Malik Washington. And there are pieces coming back, but again, you're losing Ethan Wiedeker, which means you're losing both tackles. Although we know, again, Wiedeker moved into guard the second, but you're you're losing your two most seasoned and experienced offensive linemen, your star running back, your star wide receiver, um, off, off again, an offense that was so bad, but not can just in I, numbers. I, I just yeah. want to interject brief, briefly. So 12.1, was it, on U.S. soil? 12.2, yeah. Yeah, 13.3 in total. Last year, 2021, it was only 16.6. Right, it's been bad. And the year before, on now on a Big Ten schedule only, 24.7. So, like, like... Right, it's... Right, and that's the thing. So it's, it's... It's really easy to be like, it's gonna be awful. Because, again, it's not just the numbers, it's that... The play calling was embarrassing at times. Yeah. The Ohio State game was was a slow motion train wreck. I mean, it was it was a masterclass of what not to do as an offensive coordinator. Um, there were some real lowlights. It's just easy. It's really easy, really quickly to pile up the bad. If I was going to go in the other direction, I would go in the other direction like this. Um, so Roger Sherman, who I mean. Roger Sherman, NU alum, we love Raj, great writer, funny writer, writes for The Ringer. He's not above some real snark when it comes to Northwestern. Uh, <laughs> and, it, well, if you don't know, back in the day, Roger Sherman ran a blog called Sipping on Purple that he started as a student at Northwestern and was just a dynamite right. internet exactly. presence like in the early dawn of like the college football internet. Right, right. and he, he clearly – Loves Northwestern and brings it up, but also is not above some real snark. And one tweet that he made, you know, upon the end of 
this one and eleven season. He tweeted out, you know, Northwestern's like an experiment. If you were like, what if you took a team and they have one fantastic player, but that fantastic player is an offensive lineman? What would happen? I think he might have even said one good player, and we were like, all right, simmer down. Like that's kind of that's a cheap <laughs> shot at Northwestern. But the reason I bring that up is, yeah, everyone knows that what's implicit in that conversation, right? Which is, if you've got one good player or one fantastic player. We all know where that player needs to be. And there is a really shorthand argument that many people have made for what separates every good Northwestern season from every bad Northwestern season. That Northwestern's either gotten big-time quarterback play or they haven't. And I don't think there's anyone out there who doesn't think Brendan Sullivan couldn't be great. He's definitely got it in him. And that's the thing is if you ask me like, what should Jakian, if he's staying's approach, you go up to Brendan Sullivan and you be like, chef, what are you cooking tonight? And what ingredients can I provide you to make that happen? Because it's, that's, you got to go to Brendan Sullivan. You got to be like, it's, it's him. Let the kid cook next week, next year. How can I help him? And not how I can help him like, I don't have faith in him, so what's a play I can use to get him going? No, no. He's got it. You just need to be like, what's the best situation to maximize him and maximize the success? And it's like when you talk about you know recruiting and National Signing Day, well, the flip side of that and the flip side of us not having to replace an offensive coordinator before National Signing Day is all of that wildcat tape that's out there right now (laughs) from last season that I I feel like even a running back doesn't want to see that. It's like you you need to go, all right, Brendan Sullivan, we're going to act as if this kid can cook to beat the band and be like, given that, what are we building around him and how are we going to run the offense? And, you know, Mike Bajakian had his best success when he was working with Peyton Ramsey. And Brendan Sullivan is that kind of quarterback. I'm not saddling him with a Peyton Ramsey level of success, but anyone can see they're built the same way and they're kind of wired the same way and they operate the same way. Well, this so you got to act first, as if this was his first year playing too, right? Right, right. So like, like he's I, he has three years of eligibility left, right? Th- that optimism is, I think, very well, very, very well deserved, and and I think like in my most optimistic mind, the the the, the piece I can couple with that is. And it, it dovetails with an article that Stuart Mandel, Northwestern alum Stuart Mandel, wrote for The Athletic uh, this week about Stanford and about David Shaw, uh, who resigned. Um, we think about, probably... About, giant quotes, Stanford. St- yes, exactly. He, 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 he basically wrote an article about Northwestern and then <laughs> did like a find replace on Pat Fitzgerald and replaced it with David Shaw and a find replace on Northwestern and replaced it with Stanford. I mean, it is eerie. It is eerie how similar these two programs and organizations um, have looked uh, over, over the years. But what he describes at Stanford is a, and I'm it's like, just sip, close your eyes. Just just pretend. Just close your eyes and imagine. In, unless you're driving. Env- don't close your eyes if you're driving. Well, yeah, do, yeah don't do that. Um, but he describes an environment where uh, the coach is very loyal to his assistants, to his players. Um, 
and he is reticent to fire anyone, does not fire anyone. And what this creates is an atmosphere where complacency sets in. And most critically, competition dries up. Because the like the like I'll I'll never forget Randy Walker talking about this. Like every year I'm gonna bring in the best quarterback recruit I can find. And you know, my current QB, whoever it is, like Baz, Zach, whomever, like the next like the guy in is gonna push you and gonna and is gonna make you better. And when you when you don't hold coaches accountable, when you don't fire underperforming coaches, frankly, this is true for business teams as well. Um, complacency sets in and you lose that competitive edge and you, you and you lose that fire. And this description of Stanford and of David Shaw's staff could not be more on the nose what has been happening at Northwestern. And so in that vein, all the staff that's staying, I hope, is going to take the approach of, hey, this is a this is a new day. This is a like Fitz said in his post game press conference. We don't need to change the culture. I would agree, maybe like with the players and with the team, but you damn well need to change the culture culture in in the coaching room. And yeah. hopefully, this is is the first step in that direction. Absolutely. Yeah. So again, it it's it's we know. The reaction to everybody is, I'd say, the single most common reaction is, why not Bajakian too? And we are right there with all of you. We we agree. We hear it. Um, and, uh, again, we got a lot of change. We got a lot of change, not as much as I think a lot of people wanted. But it's, I think, you know, now we're going to go forward and we're going to see the pieces from that and figure out how to, how to, how to go forward with that and hope. That just like Scuzz said, that these this staff shakeup is indicative of a larger change that is in the works here. And and it's an ongoing process that, again, another piece and another bit of tea leaves out of that is going to be seeing these new coordinator hires, seeing the new coordinator hire and seeing these new position coach hires and what the, the manner of these hires is and what we can read out of that. And then we'll go from there and then, you know, we're going to go into – what we hear about that and then signing day and the next season and we'll continue to to kind of build tea leaves and and gather as much information as we can so um a a lot of change the whole fan base wanted change we got a bunch of change today um and and that's sorry just yeah go ahead just to put that in context when mccall was let go in 2019 if i'm remembering correctly there was zero other changes to the staff right i don't believe so no and like nobody even left of their own accord, right? I don't remember what year Bates left. Um, right. Yeah. You have and and you factor in that you know we brought in a new cornerbacks coach last year, so you fold that in, and this is suddenly a lot of changes to the Northwestern coaching staff in a in a two year period. That you know is again, we've said it again: change, change, change. Well, we are getting a lot of change, um, and I think the the <laughs> the the positive way and you know just to to try to spin this up again it's like we're not selling you magic beans here but it's like look irrespective of the fact that we didn't get 
the the list the complete list of things we as fan a fan base were looking for we got a lot of the thing we were looking for which is change and now we'll hope that it that you know that bears fruit yeah we'll we'll have to see uh, obviously you know like we've been saying um where we go from here you know what uh you know what hires are made we'll you know see if we'll see what we can uh, you know derive from that and uh, and again we also don't know what was said between Dr. Gregg and Fitz. You know, we don't know where Fitz's seat is in terms of hot seat. Um, we don't know what ultimatums were given, if any. Like, this, we, we just don't know. We're not in the room. So, you know, it, it's hard for us to kind of speculate on, it's at least hard for me to speculate on that without anyone coming forward and saying, this is what's going on, which as we all know, will not be happening. You know, we're not gonna we're not gonna know that. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! We should probably talk about you know some of the other changes happening in the in the conference, at least. At least briefly. I, I know we're running a little bit long, but that was you know a lot to cover. Um, Nebraska and Wisconsin made their hires. Uh, Nebraska hiring Matt Rule, um, you know, former Carolina Panthers, Baylor, and Temple head coach, and uh, Wisconsin. Oh, and eleven against ranked opponents during his tenure as Baylor's head coach. And <laughs> Scuzz, just throw, just, just going to throw is, that out there. Scuzz is not drinking the Rule Kool Aid, people. I'm not drinking throw it. that out there and have another sip of my beautiful scotch. And then the hire that, you know, kind of came out of left field because um, I, I think a lot of us thought that it was going to go to Jim Leonard. But Wisconsin you know, pulling off what I don't think anyone thought was going to happen, uh, Luke Fickle coming from Cincinnati and going to Wisconsin. And that's a hu- I think that's a huge hire for Wisconsin. And, you know, I made allusion to it earlier. It doesn't sound like Jim Leonard's going to be sticking around. In uh, in Madison, I just so um, so we what we got eight hundred million dollars stadium in the works. Hear me out, seven hundred fifty million dollars stadium. Jim Leonard is our defensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> it is. This is a stunning development, and it it um, obviously I live in Cincinnati and um, have been have been watching, you know, the, the Bearcats and, and Fickle pretty closely over the years. I, you know, last year when he turned down Michigan State and, um, sorry, two years ago he turned down Michigan State. Last year, I don't know that there were ever, like, truly overtures, but he basically said, like, no, I'm not I'm not entertaining any, any um, opportunities while I'm preparing my team for the playoff. Uh, so with the USC and Texas jobs and all that, you know, there, there were jobs that he could have been in the mix for that he basically opted out of. Um, I kind of made the assumption that he was waiting for Ohio State 
Um, if, you, if you don't know, Fickle was the interim head coach at Ohio State for one year, uh, the year after Jim Tressel was was fired. I feel for like he, I feel like he could have that job right now if he wanted it. <laughs> no, 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 no. They're not like like. Yes, I know they lost to Michigan twice, but to fire Ryan Day would be the stupidest shit ever. I I, to- I um, totally agree. I just I just want to go back yeah. to Ohio State losing their mind after losing one game. I know, like God, uh, they're so insane. But anyway, so he so he was interim coach, um, and Ohio State did not do well that year. Of course, with you know so many players getting getting suspended and and Trestle being fired, like really right like on the cusp of the season, if I recall. Yeah, uh, but he had been was, the D- was pretty quick. Yeah, he had been DC there. Um, I'm st- I still to this day am amazed that um, when Urban Meyer came in the next year, that that he kept Fickle on staff. And I just it like like maybe like the one decent thing I can point to in Urban Meyer's career, <laughs> but um, they kept Fickle on staff. He got another couple of years to develop as a DC, and then went and came become the the head coach at Cincinnati, which was which was so successful. But um, I just always assumed that that's, you know, he played there. Um, he's from Ohio originally, all that good stuff. You just kind of figured that that's something he wanted to do. But, you know, when, when as he described it, a destination program like Wisconsin comes calling, uh, it was a huge pay increase, uh, all the stuff that goes with that. I guess you know, his wife flew up there earlier in the month to kind of check it out and, and get the lay of the land. And um, it makes sense, but it just like, what a coup for Wisconsin to pull in um, a established awesome up-and-coming football coach um i guess the other thing i'll 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 say is uh or that i that i've heard from various cincinnati folk is that um i think fickle had some i don't want i don't necessarily want to call them regrets but but the way last year played out with with him saying like oh i'm not gonna entertain anything until we're done with the playoff um he took a more proactive tack this year so i think like I imagine he reached out to Wisconsin pretty, his agent did like pretty quickly after the, the, the Kristen uh, firing went down. So um, it's, I mean, this is a rule is whatever, but fickles a big, a big, um, a big fish now in the big 10 West. And, and he's gonna, he's gonna do good things at Wisconsin. 100%. Yeah. I, I think a, he wasn't on people's radar because, you know, Cincinnati is making the move to the big 12 next year. So you know, yeah, everybody I, thought he was he was sitting here until Ohio State called that. Like literally, yeah. I just or I, Penn State. I just want to say too that most of us don't think this happened partly because the flip side of this is that it's kind of a slap in the face to him that Fickle was hired. If Jim Leonard stays as the defensive coordinator for a Luke Fickle coached football team, the fantasy commissioner rejects that trade. That is not <laughs> that is not a legal trade. Someone was falling asleep with their team and greenlit it. That's not allowed. Those two guys cannot <laughs> preside over the same defense in, on a Big Ten West football team. But realistically, it's hilarious because we're like, Cincinnati, who's got to be one of their top candidates right now? Jim Leonard, if he hits the Jim market. Leonard. Like, Jim Leonard's an, you know, he's an amazing football coach. And, and obviously, again, this is where we alluded to the pie in the sky thing at the, at the top of the pod. I mean, yes. We would all kill to have Jim Leonard come and be our defensive coordinator. Of course we would. I want many things in my life, and that's one of them. But I would not bank on that. This is someone who should be the head coach at Wisconsin right now and is not only because they could get Luke Fickle. So um, He was at the top of 
he was at the top of every list right. coming into the year right. of coordinators to watch who are going to be head coaches. Right. He was at the top of every list, and I know because I Googled all those lists <laughs> right. in the last right. like, 24 hours he's, looking for offensive coordinator candidates. Right. He's he's going somewhere, and, and honestly, you know, the the Dion piece is what everyone's waiting for. But, I mean, it's like we were talking about this. It's like if Dion goes to – to USF, Colorado would be a fool not to hire either Jim Leonard or Ryan Walters, right? If Dion goes yep. to Colorado, I don't know why he would, but because it's out, you know, outside of his region of expertise. But if he did, and you're USF, how do you not hire Jim Leonard and unleash that three four with homegrown Florida speed? Like I don't like he. So he'll he'll show up again. It's like I get why Wisconsin. Like you can't look a gift horse in the mouth with Luke Fickle, but yeah, it's. Uh, it's Luke Fickle, Matt Rule. You know, again, it's like Scuzz's Scuzz's opinions on Matt Rule, notwithstanding, it is two <laughs> two, two big names that the West added um, in a really short period of time. In, two in, two pro, two proven coaches, two proven. Um, I know uh, since Cincinnati is not Power Five, but two proven coaches at at a relatively high level of college football. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's see. It, I guess, you know, just to really quickly zip through championship weekend. Can, yeah. Sorry, but, real go quick. Ahead. Yeah, I, go ahead. I, I just want to throw one more thing out on like the whole like pie in the sky coordinator stuff. Like y'all, you got to stop it with the Mike Kafka to Northwestern <laughs> stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, like offensive coordinator. Of course not. He's already an NFL offensive coordinator. Head coach. Of course not. This dude He's has going to be an NFL every, coach. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and even before he's an NFL coach, he has everything going for him right now. Learning from one of the brightest minds um, in Brian Dayball at, 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 at the freaking New York Giants. This dude is on is on the biggest stage right now in the biggest market and doing and, well um, right and doing well. And like, it's sorry, like, like, like it would like be wonderful. If tomorrow, be, I would love to have Mike Kafka, but it is not happening. Stop it. If tomorrow Auburn was like, no, we changed our mind. It's not going to be Hugh Freeze. It's going to be Mike Kafka from the New York Giants. Everyone would go, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I get it. I get why, I, I get why you did that. Like if he's, he's white hot right now. Uh, I think he would say no. Right. I think he'd be like. To I, Auburn? God, yeah. He would I think say he's no. going to, well, he's going to be, I think, I mean, again, he's. His resume is insane right now. Mike is on the fast track to being an NFL head coach. So, um, yeah, to- total agreement. Again, yes, let's have Pat Fitzgerald as our head coach, Mike Kafka as our offensive coordinator, uh, Jim Leonard as our defensive coordinator, and as we said on Twitter, a nice Bugatti for all of us to roll up to the tailgate in every week. Yes, <laughs> I I agree with all of that. Let's do it. Let's mark it mark it all down. I'm in. But in yeah. in the we, real world, all want, that's not happening. I, I think we all want toilets made out of solid cold, but that's just not in the cars now, is it, baby? <laughs> exactly. Okay, so obviously this is uh, championship weekend. Um, watch it; it'll be fun. There, there's there's some fun games: um, Utah, USC, Kansas State, TCU, um, LSU, Georgia could be interesting. UCF, Tulane, obviously Purdue versus Michigan. I don't know how interesting of a game it's going to be, but it could be fun. And, you know, North Carolina, Clemson. Clemson's looking very vulnerable. And, uh, you know, any, anything that you guys are kind of I'll, looking at? For, I'll, let for Scuzz, I'll let Scuzz go first. Scuzz, any any particular games you want to highlight here? 
I mean, I just assume that Dabo's retiring after this game. I mean, players <laughs> are getting paid. Yeah. Um, People are talking about his offense. Now he's like saying, if you don't like the hires I'm making, you can fire me. Like, I just assume that he's resigning soon, right? Yeah, I, I assume. Yeah, probably, yeah. These, I mean, I, the, the the big one, This, it, I mean, how cool would it be if Purdue somehow pulled this out, right? Um the it it would be absolutely amazing. It's not out of the realm of possibility. It takes a hot Aiden O'Connell, and if O'Connell's hot and Jeff Brom coaches the game of his life, yeah, sure they could be in it. If something goes wrong with Michigan. Um, that's the that's the big one. But championship week. I mean, we've yeah. we've we've seen firsthand how Ohio State and Michigan come out of their big game into championship week, and sometimes they are right. The flip side, a little sluggish. The flip side is we've talked about this. If everything just goes according to plan this weekend, Ohio State's not getting into the CFP, and that's what we all really want. So, um, um, I, that if you're looking for a reason to root for the status quo, that's it. But we've buried the lead here. On championship weekend, one and only one game matters, and that is your United <laughs> States men's national team into the Sweet 16 against the dreadnought that is the Netherlands. It is, it's the biggest, I mean, it's potentially, with a win, arguably the biggest Northwestern men's soccer match ever. I mean, biggest North Northwestern. See? See where my brain is. <laughs> the level of love. I cross-pollinate between the two. The biggest U.S. men's soccer match ever, with a win. Um, and then you've got Serginio Dest, who picked... The United States over the Netherlands as his country to represent. Um, it's going to be an absolute fervor, um, and it's on a weekend actually at a time that everyone can watch. So um, it's I I don't think it's really going to conflict with too much of the football. I think it's a little earlier it's, in the day. It's at eight a.m. eight a.m. Central. Yeah, so everyone can can watch. It. It's not going to mess with anything. What better way to start out your your day than with that Titanic match? And we're going to get a build up to it. Christian, yeah, Christian Pulisic who. Scored a goal um, and and took a hit in the tenders to do it. Um, has has already said that he's he's coming back and he'll be in there. So um, they made it. It wasn't always pretty, but they haven't lost yet in the World Cup, and they are proudly representing us. Um, and it's going to be a big one. So they they're going to kick off an awesome week of sports. But um, I'm so excited for them. And and finally, we'll talk about this online. Um, we will have our annual. Uh, Westlaw Pirates uh, ESPN uh, Bowl Pick Challenge. Um, we'll talk about that more next week. Uh, but just kind of get that in the back of your head um, as we get into bowl season. Uh, we're going to have our, our Bowl Pick Challenge, and uh, we'll have all the information for that up at uh, westlawpirates.com and on our, our Twitter, Facebook, Insta, uh, all the social media feeds. So big week, big week this week. Um, you know, a lot going on and it's kind of momentous changes but uh i think we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight uh, head to our website westlawpirates.com where you can leave comments and questions find us on facebook twitter and instagram at westlaw pirates and email the show westlawpirates at gmail.com tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on northwestern athletics and look for us in the west side of ryan field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter especially the fourth for john lacombe and eric skazby i'm sam walter thanks so much for listening we'll see you next time Thank you.